Well, good morning, my friends. How's everybody doing? Doing good? You ever have one of those mornings <laughs> like we've had this morning? <laughs> it's just been one of those mornings. It's great. I was just out in the hallway, and uh, you know, you go in for like a fist bump or a handshake, and the other person does like the opposite. Zach and I had that, and uh, it's a little awkward, but you know, you make up with it, you get the hug, and you go on your on your day. So it's been one of those it's been one of those mornings, but it's going to be a great morning because we are continuing our study in the book of Second Thessalonians. Um, we're kind of coming to an end uh, for the book of Second Thessalonians. Uh, we got a couple more weeks uh, here before we wrap it up. Um, and then we'll be done. But I, I hope these two books, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, have been an encouragement to you, but also a, a challenge to you in your walk. Um, you know, we, we look at, at these books and we look at what Paul was trying to, to do, and he's trying to undo some of these false teachings that were going on uh, in this church and, and encourage them in their faith. Um, and, and so in our text today, we're going to see that he's continuing that that struggle. He's continuing that vein of thought in our text today. And what we're going to see is that we do indeed have a secure salvation. Now, secure salvation means that our salvation found through faith in in Jesus Christ, our Lord, is secure because what he saves, he cannot lose. We just saw that in our study last week. So if we have a secure salvation, our faith should consist of a couple things. And so I want us to look at how we should have a growing faith, one that is, is proclaiming and advancing the gospel. We also should have a, a guarded faith, one that is, is fully resting and depending on God, trusting fully in his protection and, and trusting fully in his plan. And lastly, we should also have a grounded faith one that is rooted in the promises of God. So what I want to do this morning is um, we've got five verses that we're going to cover. So I want to, I want to read through our text today, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break down the verses um, by some of our, our, the main points that, that I just mentioned here. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. We're going to be in verses 1 to 5. So if you don't have a a Bible, you can follow on the screen. We do have some Bibles over on the info table. So if you would like one, you can go over there, grab one, keep that as your own as a gift from us. So 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Holy Spirit, guide us this morning as we look into your word. Um, Guide our our minds and our hearts uh, may they be open to receive what you have to tell us through your word. May we apply it to our lives so that we, when we walk out of here today, we can be more like you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So first, let's take a look at what a growing faith is. We see this in verses 1 and 4. So on the screen, you'll see verse 1 and verse 4 there. So yet again, in the book of Thessalonians, 
first and second, we see Paul referencing the importance of prayer. And it's, it's no secret that Paul understands the significance of prayer in a believer's life. So anyone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior needs to understand this concept, needs to grasp how significant prayer is in our faith. So this has been quite a common theme in the book of Thessalonians that I, I think we've, Kevin and I and, and the pastors up at DuPont have tried to point out, but maybe we have overlooked a little bit. Paul wants his readers to understand, and, and he wants them to hear that prayer has a significant role in their life. It plays a massive part in their lives. So we kind of have to ask ourselves right off the bat, if prayer is so significant to Paul, and he's telling his church that it's significant for their lives as well, what place in your life does prayer have? Do you go to God constantly, or are you only going maybe in the, in the bad times when, when you need him, when things are, are going wrong? Or do you only go to him on the mountaintop? You're like, God, thanks for keeping everything good because this is what I want. What significance does prayer hold in your life? Ian Bounds was a pastor in the 1800s. He wrote a lot of books. Uh, His focus, his area of expertise, if you will, was on prayer. And in one of his books, he, he said this, He who is too busy to pray will be too busy to live a holy life. How true is that? If we're not a praying people, how can we expect to know what God is asking us to do? How can we expect to know how to live? So Paul is asking the Thessalonians to pray for him. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Essentially asking them to pray for this growing faith for him, but also for themselves. He wants them to pray for, as he says, um, the word of the Lord to, to speed ahead. So the advancing of the gospel. We also saw this back in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. If you remember all the way back to our, uh, the beginning of our study in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, he's talking about how the gospel was going forth in many cities. Um, it was advancing. And so again, Paul is asking his brothers and sisters to pray for that the advancement of the gospel, that the gospel would be advanced as it goes forth. So since, since the time that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the gospel had been Paul's passion. That is, that's what happened. He had this significant transformation. And, and he wants this same passion that he has for the gospel to be transferred to the Thessalonians as well. His life had been filled with that that gospel passion, and and so he can't do anything but share that passion with others. And so he wants the the gospel to advance, but he also wants them to pray for the gospel to be proclaimed. Verse 4, he says, um, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Our lives and our relationships and our conversations, everything about us should be gospel-centered. I read a book recently called Gospel Fluency by a pastor named Jeff Vanderselt. And the first part of this book is, is pretty elementary. It's just a very basic description of what the gospel is. Very simple, um, somewhat boring in a sense. But the second part of the book gets really good because he, he begins to apply why the gospel is so significant to us as believers. 
And so he, he uh, begins to share about how every part of our life should be involved with the gospel. He said something that really cut me to the core in the book. He, he says, our behaviors are the tangible expression of our beliefs. I remember reading that and being struck by that truth, that the way that I go about my life, the way that I act at my job or with my friends or my spouse says so much about what I believe about the gospel. Do I believe that the gospel is true? Do I believe that the gospel is everything? If I truly did, in being completely honest, my life would probably look a little bit different. I, I would have more urgency in sharing the gospel with others. I, I would have more urgency with the words that I spoke to others or, or what I spent my time on each day. The way that I, that I respond to Laura and to Scout and, and to others that I come in contact with would probably look a little bit different. How would your, how would your life look? Would it, would it be different? How would your words and actions be different? Our behaviors are the tangible expression of our beliefs. We may say that we believe the gospel. We may say that we believe what the Bible says, but how are our actions? Because they're the tangible expression of our beliefs. So he prays for the advancement of the word and the proclaiming of the word. He also prays that it would be received by those who hear it. He, he says, uh, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That phrase gives that meaning of the word being received. It's, it's being honored. It's being received. So when it comes to the gospel, we don't do anything in salvation, right? Like our job is to share the good news. Our, our job is to share the gospel with others. God is the one that does everything else after that. He's the one that waters that seed that we plant. He's the one that grows that seed that we plant. Our job is to do s- just share the good news. So Paul asked for prayer that God would work on the hearts so that they would receive the good news. He even goes into detail as to how he prays it will be received. He says, as it happened among you. If you remember, just, in, just as it happened with the church in Thessalonica, they, they received that word from Paul. And it began to grow, and, and God began to use that in their lives to see the gospel. So we need to be people that are praying that God will prepare the hearts of our city, of, of our church, of the church. That's one of the things that, that I pray for be, when, when I pray before announcements or uh, in the service, that, that Holy Spirit would guide us and, and, and direct us, that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive what God has to say to us. The Thessalonians had a secure salvation because their, their faith was growing. So the question is, is our faith growing like that? We have a secure salvation, and there's nothing that anyone can do or, 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 or say to take that away from us. But is our faith growing? Are we living a life that is saturated by the gospel? Secondly, today, a, sec- a, a secure salvation is a guarded faith. We see this in verses 2 and 3. Paul says, he will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. So the God of the entire universe will establish you. 
He will guard you. He will protect you. He will walk with you. Do we fully understand the significance of that promise? We, we need to really buy into that promise. We need to depend fully on God and, and trust in his protection. Now, doing this on the mountaintop is pretty simple. <laughs> when everything's going like we want, everything's going like we expect it to, everything's going like we've planned it to, but where it gets put to the test is when things start to get a little bit slippery, when, when things start to get shaky, when the waves around us are, are beginning to crash. One of the greatest mysteries in the Bible, I, I, in my opinion, is that God uses evil and uses our uh, trials and, and our, our suffering that he allows in our life as, as a tool for accomplishing his purpose for good. It, it seems kind of counterintuitive. Why would God allow these things to happen? Remember, the, the Thessalonians, they're, they're going through a difficult time. They're, they're struggling. Their, their faith has been a little shaky. So why does God allow that stuff to come into our lives? Well, we, we've kind of already seen that concept through our text in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. If you remember all the way back to chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's reminding them that God is using their trials and suffering as a means by which they would be, and he says, counted worthy of God's kingdom. See, God always provides his children with the, su su the sufficient needs and strength to overcome the trials that he allows in our lives. Jeremiah tells us that in Lamentations 3. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So God will guard you and keep you. He's going to give you the mercy that you need to get through today. Just enough to keep you trusting and seeking him for those new mercies tomorrow. So here in verse 2 and 3, Paul's asking for prayer for deliverance from wicked and evil men. Again, Paul values prayer. We need to value prayer. He values, though, not only his personal prayer, but the prayers of others. We, we need the prayers of others. So how often do you ask others to pray for you? Sometimes it's, it's hard for me to do that, if I'm being honest. Sometimes it's a pride thing. I, I don't want someone to know that I'm struggling with this, or I don't want someone to know that I'm going through this situation. But we need the prayers of, of others. So how often do we ask for prayers from others? Do we ask for prayers from our mentors or our mentees or brothers and sisters that, in the ch that are in our church? Paul's example here, I think, is, is an example of great humility. Here this great apostle, this church planner who's planted many churches, is asking this church for prayer. It's a crazy and, and, and humbling experience probably for this, the, the people at this church to read this letter and to hear Paul asking them, hey, I, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for us. But I really like this example because I think it goes to show that whether you're a pastor or a teacher or a construction worker or a lawyer or, or, or whatever you are, whether you're rich or poor or healthy or sick, we're all in this together. As believers, we were not created to walk this alone. 
And so we need each other. We're in this together. And prayer is the powerful tool that we're given by God for this. We have direct access to the throne of God, no matter the situation. We no longer have to go through a high priest. We no longer have to offer sacrifices. We no longer have to do any of that. We have direct access to the God of the universe. No matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter our skin color, no matter our financial status, no matter what. If you are a child of God, you have direct access to the God of the entire universe. So how are you using that access? Are you using that access? Are you using that access to have a secure salvation by having a guarded faith? We need to be. So lastly today, a secure salvation is a grounded faith. We see this in verse 5, and then I brought in a couple verses from last week at the end of, of our, our chapter last week that just went really well with, with this uh, point for today, a grounded faith. Our salvation in Jesus Christ is secure, that we know. And since we have a secure salvation, it also needs to be a grounded faith. If you remember back to last week, Paul tells his friends at the end of chapter 2 here in verses 16 and 17, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So growing up playing sports, playing soccer, you as a kid kind of going going through your childhood, you learn these different exercises, different stretches and stuff like that. And one of the ones that always gave me problems was the one where you're standing and you pull up your leg and you stretch out your quad, right? I, I don't know if it was just that I was not very coordinated when I was uh, younger or I just didn't have great balance, but I would always fall over and I would always be moving around and, and falling over. And it wasn't really until um, one of my coaches showed me, hey, stick this ball in front of you and when you pick your leg up, focus on that ball, and you'll be fine. And so I began, began doing that, sticking the ball in front of me, or if I didn't have a ball, you know, choosing a spot, maybe it was like a leaf on the ground or an amp mound or something like that, and focusing on that as I did my quad stretch, and it helped significantly. Why? Because it was grounded. It was secure. It wasn't moving. Now, for... Uh, Laura and I's honeymoon, we, we lived in Hawaii at the time. We got married in Hawaii, and uh, it was too expensive for us to fly anywhere else from Hawaii, and you're in Hawaii, so why not go somewhere where everyone goes for their honeymoon? So we decided to go to a, a couple of the other islands. We went to Kauai and then the Big Island. While we were on the Big Island, we uh, one of our adventures that we went on was night snorkeling with manta rays. Has anyone done that here? Okay. If you ever get the chance to, do it. It is absolutely incredible. So what happens is a bunch of boats come out um, at night, and as snorkelers, you get in. There's like a floatable ring that has lights on it that shine down at the ocean floor. Then there's also scuba divers that are on the ocean floor, and they shine lights up. And what the lights do is it attracts plankton. 
And so these manta rays, which are incredible creatures, like 15 to 20 feet wide, come in and they swoop and they feed on this plankton. So Laura and I are like, this sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, the, the tour that we chose was like an all-day tour. You go out during the day, you get a snorkel in this little cove, come back on the boat, have dinner, wait for it to get dark, and then you do your night snorkeling with the manta rays. So unfortunately for us, <laughs> on that day, it was like one of the most choppiest days that they had had in a very long time. So we're out there during the day trying to snorkel, and the waves are like, so like you're trying to snorkel, but you're coming out of water. It was miserable. So we come back on the boat, and um, we get our food, and the choppiness doesn't go away. So what happens when you're on a small boat, and it's extremely choppy, and you're eating food? Yeah. There's a lot of chum in the water. Um, that's exactly what happened. Thankfully for Laura and I, when I, I'm not kidding when I say we were the only two people on the boat that did not throw up. So it was very difficult. And I just remember the captain saying, focus on the horizon, focus on the sun. It's not moving. Don't focus on the water. Don't focus on the movement of the boat. Don't focus on the waves. Focus on the sun as it's setting because that point is grounded. It's, it's not moving, even though everything else is moving around you. That will help you with the seasickness. It didn't help most people. So they ended up jumping back in the water because apparently that's better for you than being on a boat. Uh, so they waited in the water while Laura and I sat by ourselves eating our ham and cheese sandwiches on the boat waiting for the sun to go down. But it's the same, it's, it's the same idea for us living out our faith. We know that life happens. We, we know that life is uncertain. That's something that we can be certain about. And so in the midst of the uncertainty of life, we need something that is secure, something that is grounded. And, and that's what Paul is telling his church here, that their, their salvation was secure. It, it was grounded. And so that the God of the entire universe gives us eternal comfort. He s establishes them in truth, in, in every good work, in every good word. That is his prayer for them because he knows that life is uncertain. They're experiencing those waves. They're experiencing those trials. And they didn't have the power to live out their faith in their own strength. So his prayer for them is that they would be encouraged, that they would be comforted, that they would be grounded in their secure salvation. So he continues that prayer in, in verse 5. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So essentially, Paul's kind of praying for two different things here. One is that their spiritual productivity would be ongoing, that they would continue that productivity. He's praying that uh, not that their trials and their, their suffering would be removed, but that God would use that, that God would encourage them that God would solidify in their hearts their secure salvation. And he's secondly praying for their ongoing spiritual growth. And that, that would be evident through enduring those hardships, enduring those, those trials, that, that growing love for others and for, for God. We, we talked about that as you go through um, 
trials and hard times, that is when you grow the most, just like pruning trees. When trees are pruned back, they grow faster. So Paul's desire is that his church, this church specifically, would be on fire. On fire in their personal relationship with God, not allowing the uncertainty of life to shake them from the faith that they had. But not only on fire with God, but that through them and and through their testimony, the gospel would be pushed further to those around them. That their secure faith would be contagious. That others would see their certainty in the uncertainty of life. That God would use that, use their example to open others' eyes around them to the gospel. Now this is ultimately our prayer for, as pastors. Not only for ourselves, but, but for you guys, for our church, for the global church. That we would be a people of deep conviction and deep faith. That we would rest on the secure faith that we were given by God. That we would allow trials to come into our lives to strengthen and deepen our faith and our relationship with God. That we would allow others around us to to see our faith as we go through those trials. So the question and the challenge today is, how are you doing in this area? Are you allowing what's going on in your life to grow your, your faith? That trial, that, that certain thing that you've been struggling with, that, that um, time of uncertainty that God has brought into your life, are you allowing God to use that as a tool to grow you and for others to see his work in your life? Are you allowing what is happening in your life to influence others around you for the gospel? We have a secure salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's nothing that anyone can do or say to take that away from you. So how are you living your faith? Are you displaying a growing faith? Does the gospel saturate your life? Does the gospel saturate everything you say and you do? So when people look at you or they look at your actions or when people are are just around you, does your life just drip with the gospel. We need to be people that are full of the gospel. We need to be proclaiming and advancing the gospel as much as we can. Are you displaying a guarded faith? Is your heart guarded from the false truth that the world teaches? Are you using prayer, one of the most important and powerful tools that God gives us as believers? Are you using that to further the gospel? Are you displaying a grounded faith? Do you find yourself looking around you in in the midst of trials, trying to figure out what God is doing? Maybe asking why he's doing this to you, why he's allowing these things to happen, maybe telling him, hey, this is unfair. I've been trying to do right. Why are you doing this to me? Or are your eyes fixed on him? fixed on the horizon, something that isn't moving, something that is grounded? Are we grounded in truth? Are we grounded in faith? Understanding that God is our rock. And if we look to him, we we shall not be moved. So let's be a people that are growing and that are 
guarding in and that are grounded in our faith. People that are trusting that our salvation is secure through God. Let's pray.